Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. The season of Lent will begin in about 10 days, and you know that Lent is a season that we practice and we observe here in the church, and it's meant to draw us into an experience with Jesus, a fresh experience with Christ. And so during Lent, a lot of times people will give something up. They'll fast from something during Lent. I want to give you something to do in addition to fasting during Lent or giving something up, and that's to give to something. I want you to give your time to reading through this little devotional. As a church family, we're going to read through this little booklet here called A Journey Through Lent. 40 days, 40 devotions with a little scripture reading, a devotional thought, and a prayer. And again, this is something that we want every single person who's a part of our church to participate in. You could actually pick up one of these booklets in the comments. Here's what I would ask you to do. Let's make this a me plus three experience. In other words, you pick up a copy for yourself and then pick up three other copies and encourage your family members, your friends, your coworkers, whoever God puts in your heart to read through this with you together, me plus three. So if you buy one copy, it's five bucks. By the way, if money's an issue, take one. We want you to have one. If you buy the me plus three bargain, it's $15 to give you a discount for four of these. So please take advantage of it. Credit card, cash, it's all in the commons. We want everyone in the church going through this Lenten journey with us. We'll begin reading it on February 17th. Speaking of Lent, really excited about our Lenten series on Wednesday nights right here in the sanctuary. It'll be live streamed. We'll be gathering in person and we're gonna observe Lent during, during those Wednesday nights. We've got an incredible lineup of preachers coming in. We had a vision for the preachers of Pittsburgh, that, that people that God has, has used during the past 30 years or so to make a significant impact in the faith community would come here and preach during Lent. And so we've got this lined up. Check it out. Here's the, here's the list. Our own John Guest will be preaching first, followed by Jay Passivant. Jay Passman will be followed by Pastor Ed Glover, which we're excited to have him as a part of this. And then we're going to have Rock Dilliman, also Bishop Joseph Garlington. And finally, we're going to finish it up with John Nuzo. What a lineup. We're excited for these Wednesday nights. It's for the whole Pittsburgh community. Yes. And so please come out for these. Watch on live stream. Invite your friends to be a part of it. It's going to be a great, great season of Lent. Lean into it. Get the devotional. Be a part of those Wednesday nights. It's going to be a special time for us to experience Christ during the season of Lent. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do uh, return this morning in our hearts to the heart of worship. And as we consider being on the front end of the season of Lent, it's coming. We do pray that we would grow in our intimacy with Jesus. And I do pray, Lord, you'd use this little devotional in our gatherings on Wednesdays and our personal time with you to grow us in devotion to Christ. May we know him more fully. And God, as we look at your word this morning, we do desire to come before you and return to the heart of worship. Teach us, we pray from this passage. 
Thank you for our gathering here this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a question for you this morning. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? You know, some people would say, well, the purpose of the church is the gathering of believers, what we're doing here. That's a good answer, the church family. I love that aspect of the church. It's a good answer. Others might say, well, the purpose of the church involves being in the presence of God, worshiping like we've been doing this morning. Another great answer. You know, historically at Christ Church, we've said this. We've said that the purpose of the church lies in sharing the gospel. In fact, our vision statement is to call our world to Christ. I want to give you a specific audience to think about when you think about that particular purpose of the church. And the audience I want to put before you this morning is what you might call the next generation, future generations. We have some representatives from our church here that are part of that next generation. For instance, we have Michael here. And Michael is a high school student locally here. Michael's a boxer. Don't you love that? If I don't watch myself, he might slug me here. But Michael's a disciplined guy. He loves the Lord. Really grateful for Michael and proud of him. And then you have younger generation, right? The younger part of the next generation, like Nolan here. Nolan is super industrious. Nolan loves to work with his hands. He's with his dad in his workshop working on making things from wood. What a great young man he is. And then you have uh, Rachel here. Rachel just got back from being in Kenya, serving on mission. She's got a passion and a heart to serve the Lord. I love that. Don't you love to see these kind of qualities in the next generation? We have people all throughout our congregation representing the future generations that have these passions and these gifts. Or how about Zai? Do you know Zai? If you don't know Zai, you should know Zai. And Zai is a guy who is, uh, you're looking at the future of the business leaders of America right here. He's going to graduate from Robert Morris, and we're really proud of Zai and excited about what God's doing in his life. Or how about Nora? Nora is so determined. She is so disciplined. Good little athlete. She represents the next generation so well. And then you got kids like this one. Let me tell you about her. She's, prom- she's made me, she's begged me not to kiss her on the cheek. This is my daughter, Lucy. And Lucy, other than being a person who loves to have really nice shoes, has so many gifts. Her friends used to call her Pastor Lucy. I love that. Because she loves to encourage her friends and walk with them. This is the next generation. Isn't it exciting? Yes. Yes. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Thank you. As we consider these faces that represent many more, what are we leaving behind for them? What are we doing as a church? If our purpose lies in sharing the gospel, or at least a a, a portion of our purpose, what are we doing to reach their peers? The peers of those who are part of the future generation. It's really important we consider this. And as we look at the text this morning, we're going to talk more about that. But I want to do this just one more time. I want to just give a round of applause to them. But before we do, I want to say this to you, next generation, and all who are watching online, who are part of this future generation. Listen, we love you as a church family. We, we believe in you 100%. And we're very, very proud of you and excited for you. Let's give them now a round of applause. Thank you so much.
Okay, so now with that picture in mind, I want you to consider this, okay? You think about these future generations. Listen, we desire to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. You know, what's the purpose of the church? There there are several things, ways we can answer that. But one thing I would put on the table is this, is that we have this desire to spread a passion for Christ, for the supremacy of God in all things. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, as we've been saying, first things first, right? First things first, we have to be a people of prayer. You might remember I said this earlier in the series. Prayer is the key to everything we need to do and desire to be in life. It all begins with prayer. And so if we're going to see this generation raised up, we have to pray. You know, we're going to look this morning at 1 Chronicles 29. Robbie read a portion of the passage for us. And in this passage... David, King David, prays, and he kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us a peek, shows us how we can make a way for the next generation. So let's, let's go there. As we do, I just want to give you a little bit of background on this passage because we're kind of jumping in midstream. Um, the background is this. This is happening late in David's life. In fact, it's been suggested that this is probably the last recorded prayer of King David's life. So this this is his, his final statement, his closing remarks to Israel. And he calls together to the palace his officials and military leaders and his administrators, and he speaks to them about a temple that is to be built by his son Solomon in the days to come. And, and David asks them to contribute to the building of this temple. These high-level leaders, these people of renown in Israel. In fact, David says, listen, I'm going to put my riches, I'm going to put my wealth on the table in great quantities. And so he gave gold and silver and bronze. Like, not just a little bit, tons of gold and silver and bronze from his own fortune. And he, he calls on these leaders to do the same thing. And then, we're going to see this, David prays. I love it. And there's a little leadership thing here. I would, I would hope we would be a leadership church. Let me give you a little leadership nugget. To be a person of prayer is an essential ingredient to leadership. If you're leading your household, if, if you're leading in work, if you're leading in, the, in, in school, wherever, in the marketplace, a key ingredient to being a leader is being a person of prayer. David models that for us. Again, let's go to the text. Picking up in verse 9 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, the Bible reads in this way. It says, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. You hear that? They were asked to put put up. The people rejoiced at the response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. I want to point this out to you. The the response of the leaders when called upon by David to give of their wealth to this temple, their response is characterized as being wholehearted. Wholehearted. In fact, there's other adjectives that describe their response. They gave freely. They gave willingly. That's all over this passage, actually, those words. This idea is throughout the Scripture here. And what this willingness and and freeness of their response really means is that there was 
uncompelled movement of their will. Uncompelled movement of their will to give. You know, giving out of duty is good. That's a good thing. You know, when you give because, well, it's, it's what I'm supposed to do. Or if you give because, well, that's, that's what the preacher said. Those are good things. And by the way, we do cash those checks. That's fine. That's a good thing to give out of a sense of duty. But it's even a greater thing. It's a, even a better thing when we give out of love. When we give wholeheartedly, it's even a greater thing. In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the scripture tells us this, God loves, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves the person who, who, who gives out of a sense of love, not just a sense of duty. Why do we give? Because we desire to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. And so here's how it works. We give freely and willingly to the work of the church, to the work of the ministry. When we hear about a retreat that's going on, like our middle school retreat, in just a couple of weeks, or when we hear about our, our fifth and sixth graders, fourth and fifth graders, excuse me, going on a retreat in the spring, or, or a high school camp happening this summer, you know what our response should be? How can I support that? How can I sponsor one of these students and their experience to grow in the Lord because I believe in the next generation? That's what we see here. I love that they have this free, willing, wholehearted response. Let's continue in the passage. Picking back up in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. But the fire alarm went off and everyone had to evacuate the building and everything came to a screeching halt. Just kidding. The scripture doesn't say that. No, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Yours, Lord, this is a prayer, is the greatness and the power. You can adopt these words as your own. And the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now our God. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Here's the peek behind the curtain. How do we reach the next generation? It's counterintuitive. It's not what you would think. It's not a ministry. It's not even the building. No, prayer. Prayer is what, where, where he begins. And it's a specific kind of prayer because we tend to think this. We think about prayer and we think about our requests. Listen, prayer isn't just asking God for favors or forgiveness. Look, asking for forgiveness is huge. We had a whole sermon last week on seeking God in forgiveness, Psalm 51. Prayer, though, man, self, I'm sorry, spirit-inspired prayer includes a heavy dose of praise. That's what we see here in this hymn that David puts before the Lord, this prayer. There's a heavy dose of praise. David actually led the people in praise. It says that David praised the Lord. Or bless the Lord. Let me tell you what that means. To praise or bless the Lord. Praise is saying true and good and wonderful things about the Lord that account for what happens in this world. So praise is. It's speaking up and saying the great things about God, about the things we see him doing in this world. And somebody asked a question. What is the next generation 
hearing from our lips? Are they hearing praise? Is that what they're hearing? I mean, regardless of circumstances, wholeheartedly, what's the next generation hearing? Are we saying wonderful things about the Lord and what he's doing in this life? You know, you think about saying wonderful things about the Lord, and some people might wonder, so is, is praise just buttering up God? Is it just buttering up so I could ask him for what, what I'm supposed to, 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 what I really want to have? That reminds me of, of something that happens in our family. So uh, there's a picture of my oldest daughters that I really like. It's on the screens here. I love this shot of the girls. And I mean, that cute? I love that picture. It's like cherished for me. And, and um, it's kind of funny. Whenever, you know, on the group text thread, the girls have a request. They, they, they want a new pair of shoes or they want to go to their friend's house or they want to have someone sleep over the night. They immediately follow their request with this picture. <laughs> playing on my heart. They're saying, hey, Dad, aren't we cute? Don't you love us? You and Mom made us, right? They're trying to butter me up. Is that what praise is? Is praise just kind of buttering up God? Is that what it is? No. Praise is expressing out loud the respect and honor we have for our God. It's not buttering up God. And let me tell you, praise, praise has an effect on us. It affects us. When we praise, our faith is strengthened. And let me tell you also, I believe that our praise can also have an impact on the next generation. When we tell about the wonderful deeds of God and what he's done, I believe that we can strengthen the next generation in this. In other words, I'll sum it up this way. Praise is the language of faith. Praise is the language of faith. Are we being a people who praise? I want to point one more thing out to you in this section, verses 10 through 13. You know, it's interesting. David here does not use the third person. You know, a lot of times you read in the scriptures and they'll say, praise to the Lord. Not here. Did you catch it? It says, praise be to you, Lord. Praise be to you, Lord. And what's that tell us? It's spoken out of a personal relationship. David is speaking for something that's very intimate to him. He has a relationship with the Lord. He's walking with him. In fact, he calls on his forefathers and their personal relationship. He says here, the God of our father Israel the God of, of Jacob. He's calling on this personal relationship. So this begs the question to us, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? I mean, what are we passing on to the next generation? Is it religion? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? You might ask, how do I do that? I've been working on something. I want to share this with you. Uh, here's a way that you can consider that question. Four Ds. Four Ds. Design, defiance, deliver, decide. Check this out. You might want to jot this down. Okay? First of all, design. God created the world. He created the heavens and the earth and the sea. And God created people. He created you and me in his image. And there is a loving care that goes along with the fact that God is the great designer. That he created us. But here's what happens. There's defiance that enters the picture. God creates us in love. But the defiance comes because there's this way that human beings turn away from God. We call it sin. And whenever sin enters the world, 
There's a break in relationship with God. There's separation. In fact, the Bible says that, that the wages of sin is death. So out of this, this great design that God has, this creation, there's defiance. But God does something amazing. He delivers to us a great, great gift in his son Jesus, the son of God. And this son of God came and lived as an example. And he went to the cross where his body was broken. His blood was shed. We're going to remember it through communion this morning. And though he was put in the grave, he was raised back to life. God delivered him from the grave. And all this sets up the most important D. And that D is decide. You know, that's, that's the plan of salvation. That's how you can have a personal relationship with God. But ultimately, you and I, we have to decide. Will we admit that we have been defiant, that we have sinned? Will, will we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He died to pay for sins and he rose again. Will we repent? Will we confess? So I put that before you. Look, David is speaking from a personal relationship with God. Are you speaking from a personal relationship? Are we speaking to the next generation? These faces that we're representing the future. Are we speaking to them? Are we coming from a perspective of religion or a personal relationship? Huge question for us today. Which way are we presenting to them? So listen, essentially this passage to me says this. If we have a desire to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, then listen, we begin with prayer. We speak to it with our lives. It has to be something personal to us. And as we do, this praise that's rooted in a, a personal relationship with God, something authentic comes forth. And I believe that will speak to the next generation. David had that in spades. Incredible passage there. Let's go on to verses 14 through 16. Go back to 1 Chronicles 29. David continues his prayer and he says this, But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. As were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. You know, David says this, he says, everything comes from you. He says, we have given you only what comes from your hand. It reminds me of something else he said in verses 10 through 13. In verses 10 through 13, we see over and over again, he uses the word all and everything, all and everything, at least four times. He says, everything in heaven and earth is yours. He says, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Listen, the God who possesses everything also gives freely to everyone. I want you to follow this with me. You know, David, what a king. What a king David was. David was in awe of the fact that he had such capacity to give back to God. You catch his language? He says, who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give so generously? He saw this as just a gift. He was in awe of it. David remembered this. He was the eighth son of a shepherd. He remembered that, that he came from nothing. They had no land even to begin with. But everything he had, God had blessed him. And David knew, he knew 
that everything he had came from God and belonged to God. There are a lot of kings, his peers, who would perceive that, that they, they themselves were the absolute rulers of their domain. That their wealth and their power and everything came from themselves. Not David, he wasn't like that. But you know what? I think that we're like that. I think we tend to be like the kings. And we tend to think that, that things have come about because of our own work. We're tempted to believe that what we have comes about because of our own, or the sweat of our own brow, so to speak. I'm talking to my Pittsburgh people who I love. Is what we have, is what you have. Is it from yourself? Is it from your own efforts? Even King David said it wasn't from himself. He knew it was from God. We tend, we're tempted to hold on tightly to our possessions like they're our own. You might remember a couple months ago, I came before you. This is a confession, by the way. I told you how much my family likes Doritos. Like, there's always a bag of Doritos I feel like open somewhere in the house. It's a terrible habit. And so the response of the church was that I got so many bags of Doritos for Christmas. I mean, just bags and bags and bags. I, I got huge bags of Doritos. There was one that was like as big of a, as a potato sack. It was huge. I don't know where people found these things. I mean, Doritos upon Doritos upon Doritos, Doritos for days. I'm a very blessed man. So what's my response to all these Doritos I have? Do I put them in a closet at home and lock them up and say, you know what, I preach for those Doritos. They're my Doritos. Is that what I do? Or is my attitude, you know what, whoever comes in our house, whip open a bag of those Doritos, let's share them. Super Bowl party night, we could be swimming in Doritos. We got so many of them. Come on, you get my point? How do we view our possessions? What's our attitude? I'll show you a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I think it sums this up well. Hang in there again with me. This is all connects to the next generation. Deuteronomy 8. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. It's generational, as it is today. You know, we tend to believe that our wealth belongs to us rather than God. This is the point. What God has given to us is meant to build his kingdom. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to do what? Share the gospel with the next generation with people all throughout Pittsburgh, into the nations. This is why we've been given wealth. David understood this fully. He understood that what had been given him was a gift and it was given to be given back to God. Let's go back to the text. Here we go. Verses 17 through 19. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. Wholeheartedly, he tests the heart. The heart of worship, it says you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here have given to you, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I keep on telling you, this is generational. Keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep the hearts loyal, their hearts loyal to you, and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build 
the palatial structure for which I have provided. He turns his his prayer now from praise to petition, a request of God. And I love it. He has a single target for his, his, his petition. It's that they would be a wholehearted people. He doesn't pray for power. He doesn't pray for military victory. He doesn't pray for riches. None of that. David prays that the next generation would have wholehearted devotion to the Lord forever. That's his prayer. That's, that's like what he sees when he thinks about the purpose of the people. He thinks about this fact that, that it all comes down to this next generation. What are we passing on to them? So next generation, let me talk to you specifically. Whether worshiping in this room or worshiping at home, I want to tell you this. My prayer, just like the scripture here, would be that the Lord would give you a heart that would be loyal to him forever. My prayer is that you would have wholehearted faith. It's our prayer as a church for you. That you would love Christ and be devoted to him. Look, apart from the Lord, apart from the Lord, you and I will only do this. Our hearts will go after anything but God. And so our prayer for you next generation, future generations, is that you would be wholehearted, devoted to the Lord. Hmm. May God direct your heart and give you a willing spirit, a joyful spirit to follow him in devotion and servitude forever and ever. Let me tell you about a person who loved the next generation. A man who was a part of our church as a founding member, Frank Melnick. A couple pictures here of Frank. Here's Frank and Shirley together. Check out this picture of Frank with his grandchildren. And then, of course, John with his great friend, Pastor John Guest. Love those photos. You know, I was uh, privileged to have the opportunity to go to Frank's memorial service. And in his memorial service, his grandchildren stood up and essentially gave testimony to Frank's life and his impact on them and their whole family. And, and what I took away with, with, from it was this, that Frank lived a life that spoke wonderful things about the Lord. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. But Frank had a life that essentially praised God. That's what his grandchildren testified to. And they also testified to this. They said that, that, that he had a sense that he knew that everything he had from God came from him. It was meant to be used to spread his kingdom. His grandchildren got a sense of that. Frank believed in the next generation. You know, um, as a founding member here, Frank is, is one that many people knew and loved. He had a nickname, Anglican Thunder. Isn't that a good nickname? Frank, Frank really enjoyed the traditional means of worship. That meant a lot to him. But one of the things that Frank also came to understand is this, is that it might take some different stylistic decisions in order for us to reach the next generation. And you know what? Because he loved the next generation, Frank reconciled that. And he loved this church and was committed to it. Frank knew the next generation was so important. And his desire was what? To spread a passion. To spread a passion for Jesus and for the supremacy of God in all things. David had that same desire to spread a passion for the supremacy of God. And we see it in verse 20 as we conclude. Verse 20 says this, David said to the whole assembly, 
Praise the Lord, your God. And so they all praise the Lord, the God of their fathers, generational. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. They prostrated themselves. That's a posture that they took of complete submission. They said, God, we praise you. Out of their personal relationship, they recognized that everything belonged to him. And they got on their knees, on their faces, and they bowed before God as the ultimate act and essence of worship. In fact, we have kneelers in here. Robbie had you on these kneelers. The reason we have those in a church that worships in the Anglican tradition is so we can go prostrate before the Lord. Bow before him in reverence and say, God, everything belongs to you. We praise you. Church, my prayer as we consider the faces that represent the future would be that we would be a people who, who have praise coming from our lips. That we would be a people who aren't just religious, but have a personal relationship with the Lord. And that recognizing that everything belongs to Him, we would give of ourselves and our resources so that the next generation would be devoted and loyal to Jesus forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do come before you humbly. Lord, we bow before you in our hearts. And God, as we do bow before you, we want to give praise to you. You are the great God in heaven. God, everything we have comes from you. It belongs to you. And so, Lord, we come to you, born of our personal relationship with you, desiring to see not only a great community of believers here, not only gatherings where we come into your presence, but also to see a next generation raised up who will be loyal to you and love you for all the days of their life and that your name would have a place at Christ Church and in Pittsburgh and in the nations forever. Lord, as we do come before you, there's this opportunity for us to once again get personal with you. And Lord, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, we can come before you and recognize your design that you've created us, that you, God, have made us in your image and that you love us. But Lord, we can also come before you and recognize that sins entered the world, that we have separated ourselves through our actions, through our sins, and that we've gone down a way, a path that leads to death. And so Lord, thank you for delivering Jesus to us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, God, that he did not stay in the grave, but he rose again. And Lord, all this leads us to a decision. And I pray, Lord, that today we would choose again, or perhaps choose for the first time, to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again, that we would make a decision, Lord, to admit we're sinners, and we'd come confessing and repenting of our sin, desiring to go in a new way. And so we say, oh Jesus, we believe you're the Son of God. We believe that you died to pay for our sins. We believe that you rose again to give us a promise of eternal life. Oh God, forgive me, a sinner, and teach me 
to walk in your everlasting ways. Oh God, this is what we desire for the next generation, that we and those who come after us would follow Jesus. God, thank you for him. We praise you. We desire to become personal with you. And we do all this in his matchless name. And God's people together said, amen.